0: Wonderful, happy Memorial Day to you, happy Memorial Day to you, you guys can be seated on this beautiful, beautiful weekend we've got here weather-wise, and it's good to be able to gather together with some beautiful people and worship a beautiful Savior and a beautiful mercy that he's given us as we were just singing about. And so uh, for all of you that have served past or present uh, in the military, we, we honestly do just salute you. Can we give it up for all our military folks on this weekend? Many of you in this room, we do celebrate and salute you. Am I allowed to do a salute if I'm not in the military? Am I allowed to do that? Is that like i I'm not allowed to salute? I do it all the time. I, I hope I don't get arrested for it. So, uh, no, we really do. Our, our church is, um, I, I think, just even having an anchor as uh, kind of our, our core logo kind of draws, I think, a lot of military families for whatever reason, just used to the nautical life and fathoms, particularly in here in this Navy town, is something that was uh, very much part of life, that of Folks that have been on the water, so uh, so that's neat. We really do celebrate you. Hope everybody has a chance to relax this weekend and tomorrow. And so, this week uh, we're, we're continuing a journey that we started last week. And uh, if you you weren't with us last week, let me catch you up. We started a journey called Summer Road Trip. And uh, last week, if you if you missed it, I really want to encourage you go listen to the podcast. I mean, I mean that honestly because I think it's a message for everyone at every place in your life about leaving the familiar. To head towards the promised land. And where many times our series that, that we jump into here at the church will be tied together by maybe a certain book in the Bible or, or a certain letter or a certain chapter or maybe a thematic idea of like what the Bible says on marriage or, or, or something in, in that order. This series uh, for the next, for, for May and June, is really tied together by significant locations. And so this idea that Maybe we'll get away from the weekend. We've got folks that are off, you know, uh, enjoying a a good weekend away and different things like that. We kind of do that during the summer, hopefully, try to get away for a weekend and relax a little bit. And uh, this idea of movement and going to these unique places, there's all these beautiful, unique places. So that's kind of what's tying this together, significant places uh, that God met people. And uh, last week, we just talked about really leaving the familiar for the promise in the life of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And this week, we're flipping over to the, the New Testament in Acts chapter 9. Um, and I don't know about f- for you, but one of the most frustrating things about taking any kind of trip is when the trip gets interrupted with something. Ever had a trip get interrupted? Maybe it's just to work, your trip to work, and what happens? Your car won't start? Like, that's a, that's a frustrating trip interrupted on Monday morning or when you're running late already, and of course that's going to be the day your car doesn't start. Not the day you were an hour early. Or, or when you're heading out of town on vacation and you're just so excited, and then you get stuck behind an accident, Trip interrupted. Those are the most frustrating things, uh, and I think it's not just on our trips as we run around and do different things. I think it happens in life where uh, the the plans we had, the thoughts of how things would flow out, don't work like that. You know, where we have a, a loss in the family, or uh, we get laid off, or you name it. You fill in the blank of what trip, what journey you're taking, and how it's been interrupted in some way. And, and I'll just go ahead and set the preface that sometimes. Those are works of the enemy that, that attempt to distract and deter us from the purpose and call God has on our life. Sometimes those are works of the enemy, and God allows them to happen, and he, he redeems them, and he heals them, and he uses them for his glory. Th- those things happen, but there's also what I, I want to call godly interruptions, where this was no God allowing something to happen. This is, is God stepping in and, and very much allowing something to happen, but he's going to, again, use it for his glory. And th- these are, are sometimes holy interruptions. And so I, I want to talk today about what these interruptions, what these godly interruptions lead us to. Because I think more and more we're going to begin to look at these interruptions, these little things in life And begin to not get frustrated by them anymore, but begin to not just accept them, but accept God's work in our life during these interruptions. Because everybody wants to have patience, but nobody wants to do what it takes to to get there, you know, if it's traffic or whatever. So we're going to jump into Acts chapter 9. Uh, and, and if you follow along on the Bible app, uh, you're welcome to look up our live event, and there's notes already on there. Uh, if you'd like to to bounce off of those, you're welcome to on the the Bible app. Um, also, if you're if you watch TV at all, or if you've watched any of uh, AD, the Bible Continues, that's on NBC. Actually, tonight, funny as it seems. This particular chapter, this particular text is what that will be tonight on NBC. So, if you're interested, I think it comes on 9 o'clock NBC. I'm not trying to promo that. But it's just this, what we're going to be talking about today Saul's conversion is the road to Damascus. So, that's really the place that we're headed to, is on the journey to Damascus. And Damascus is the capital of Syria. It was back then, it is now. And it kind of falls on a really prominent river. So, any of us that head to the river to jump on the river for the, the summer, This is kind of where they're at, and it's kind of surrounded by mountains. And and this river ran from, like, northern Mesopotamia, and it ran down to Egypt. So it was a major trade route. That's what really has held Syria to be this really strong uh, kind of uh, trade area and economic area, which obviously there's lots of violence and lots of things happening there, and it's like 96% Muslim now. But here on Saul's journey, who will later be Paul, of course, uh, many of you know, um, he, he's going to have an encounter with God, his trip of what he thought he was headed to Damascus for. His, his plans are going to be changed, and God's going to do an incredible work in his life, one that, if it happened in our day-to-day, it would be on every news network. It, it would, it, we, wouldn't be, we wouldn't believe it as Christians. We wouldn't believe it. And here we're going to dive into that story. So let's read the first nine verses, kind of unpack a couple of points, and then we're going to read the next ten, nine or ten verses, and we'll unpack our last point, Okay. So starting with verse one, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So for those of you that have no background on Saul at all, Saul is like a super zealous religious, religious Jew to the point that he is persecuting Christians. And at this time, that they just called them people of the way. People that followed the way of Jesus. So they weren't even called Christians for a couple hundred... Well, it, it actually happened a little bit before that, but really commonized, um, or, or the common name of Christians didn't come along for a, a little bit later uh, in the book of Acts. So... He's breathing out these murder threats. He's looking to persecute and capture Christians. So while he's doing this, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going there for what reason? To go and get Christians and put them in jail and persecute them and probably kill them even. Um, So as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground. Remember this, falling to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? It's very interesting that he, he calls him Lord here. this voice that's coming from heaven. There's some kind of recognition of God there that uh, obviously he's a Jew, and he has a, a, an understanding of, of one God. Uh, Saul asked, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. I mean, can you imagine sitting there and like, a dude's been blinded by some kind of light heard, and they didn't hear the voice. Um, stood there, and they heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Um, Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. Okay, so let's unpack this. This is a godly interruption here. God God is getting ready to change his life in multiple ways, and and how it's unpacked here in this text is very important to our lives because it's it's, it's something that's going to be repeated not just in Saul's life, but every single one of our lives, not on one encounter, but on a regular basis. I believe this speaks of these godly interruptions. I really think the first thing that that we see in this text about what this godly interruption, this light shining from heaven, blinding him, him falling to the ground, I think the first thing that's really speaking to us is godly interruptions lead to humility. They lead to humility. Grabbing a hold of the idea of humility has always been a bit of a challenge, right? Because as soon as you, you think, like, oh, I'm, fine. I'm not being prideful anymore, I'm being humble, then, like, are you being prideful about your humility? And so it's this, this back and forth kind of understanding. But for Paul here, he's going in one way, and the fact that he brings him to his knees and he references the Lord, there is something happening in his heart in a major way. And I talk about humility a lot because I really believe it's at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a lover of God. And I think on the opposite side of that, I think pride is our first and our last sin. It's the sin, the depiction we see of the fall of Satan you know, falling because he thought he could raise up. This a pride, and he was cast down. And then it, at the end, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. That pride will be humbled. The knee bowing, uh, the tongue will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so, wrapping our, our brains around this idea of humility, I think, is foundational. And, and the big thing that we've got to grab a hold uh, about humility: humility is not a destination. It's not a, de- humility is not a destination. We don't get there and like, oh, I, now I'm humble. Now I'm, it's a lifestyle and it's a constant pursuit and constant of lowering ourselves. I love how John the Baptist said it. John the Baptist said, uh, he must become greater and I must become less, John 3.30. He must become greater and I must become less. It is a constant lifestyle. We never get to this place of now I'm at humility and I, and I think all the time, you know, uh, you know, when I just referenced patience a minute ago, maybe we think that, oh, well, we, we're patient now. Well, as soon as you don't practice patience, you're not patient anymore, so it's a lifestyle. It's a constant thing that we must practice, and the same thing is true of humility. This isn't just something that's coming into Paul's life. This is something that we have to maintain as a lifestyle, that he must become greater, I must become less. And it's not just a matter of like, oh, like, can we actually make God greater? No, we can't make God greater, but it's in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives that we raise him up to the highest place. We raise him up, and, and he's the constant focus of our worship and our affections and our thoughts. And, and it's, it's this place that Paul finds himself. Not only that, and here's the thing, we can either humble ourselves or, or, or God will humble us. Um, and, and it's either sooner or later. And um, I think there's really something to the fact of of Humiliation too. I mean, that's where the same word comes from, like humility and humiliation. And so we can get there one of two ways. We can get there by humbling ourselves, and the scriptures tell us that God will raise us up. He'll exalt us from that place. So that kind of sounds better, other than the place that we would be humiliated because of our pride. And I think if, if we were honest, if we really looked into our lives, there's been many times where we've been humiliated by our pride because we refuse to listen to the words God was speaking into our lives. I believe this is kind of the first step in every day that we should step out is God, be greater. I I must become less. You must become greater. I think this is at the core of what it means here. Not only that, he had a humbling experience. He was blinded, and he actually had to have, he couldn't even continue his journey on. He had to have others lead him to that place. So there's a, a sense of humiliation. that These people that he was leading and he was in charge of, all of a sudden trip interrupted. Uh, he's, he's humiliated. He's humbled to the place that he's on his knees and so it should be with our hearts and our minds, always humbled before the Lord uh, in these times. And so if you're frustrated in traffic, hum- humble yourselves and just say, God, what do you, you want to speak through this? Not God, what, what are you doing? But God, what are you doing in me? What can you do in me? through this? Like, what else can you purify and refine? Let's go into really the second thing I feel like that godly interruptions lead to, and I think it's, it follows this one perfectly, is correction. Is correction. I believe that godly interruptions lead us to correction. If we, if we look at Paul here, He's got some kind of jacked up views and a jacked up lifestyle here, does he not? I mean, he's going out to persecute and kill Christians. Like his journey, why he is going to Damascus is to persecute Christians. There are some things that need to be changed in his life. Can everybody get an amen? Okay, and this is like what we see happening in the Middle East. Maybe you see it happening in really extreme ways, but it certainly was happening in very extreme ways of persecution and, and, and murder and stonings and, and different things that were happening here to the way, the early church. And so if we begin to kind of realize this in point one with two, like if, if we looked at an ISIS member that had this godly interruption, like let's, get, let's kind of get real in our, in our modern day. If this happened, how would we kind of be responding to it? And there's some things that need to be changed about that perspective. There's a, some things that need to be changed about Saul's perspective here, and, and that's what I, I believe that we can kind of see here, as he says, he's crying out, okay, who are you? And like, what do you want from me that you would shine this light? And he said, well, it's me you're persecuting, the name of Jesus. And I think God would want to bring that back to our hearts and know that there's some things in our lives that need to be corrected. He shines the light, and we're kind of blinded from our own sin many times, right? Sometimes we're blinded from our own sin. We don't even know kind of where we're falling short. And it it takes really leaning into the scriptures, leaning into what the Holy Spirit is saying in our life, leaning into others, leading us into that correction. But this word is really offensive, um, I I think, in the idea that, oh, we we get corrected. Like, we don't want to be corrected, right? Nobody wants to be corrected. Everybody wants to be right. Amen? Right? So we, we want to be right, but it kind of goes back to the humility thing. The humility has to come first. And then there's a correction that needs to take place. He's saying you're persecuting me, and part of like us walking in the correction of is God gonna? He's gonna tell him what he needs to do. He's gonna say, okay, you need to get up and go. They're gonna walk with you. You're gonna stay in this humiliation. You're gonna stay in this kind of humble place of blindedness to what's going on. And, and you ever been in one of those states of your life? Like I have no idea what's going on. Anybody? Like just like things are just kind of crazy things get thrown off the path you thought they were going to go, and the world's just kind of spinning, right, for a little while. If, you, if you've lost a family member, or things going on in the marriage, or uh, you, you lost a job, or having to switch jobs, or schedules, or things just get thrown, thrown off. And I think it's in these times that God, God's wanting to do something. He's wanting to do something in us. We've got to humble ourselves and say, God, what are you trying to do? What are you trying to do in here? Because it's going to propel us to the future. When I was, um, I played football. I started when I was, uh, my whole life, but really like tackle football with pads and everything when I was in like sixth or seventh grade. And I remember the first year, I mean, I was a total scrub on the team. Like everybody was older than me and they were all super talented. Like a lot of these guys, you know, would go on to play like division one football and that I was playing like little league with and they were just super talented. And I was total total scrub, first time I've ever played. And uh, man, the first month we got started, it was I was, like, run down because every time I would do anything, the coach would pull me to the side. And I felt like I was the only one getting called out. Anyone ever felt like that? Like, you didn't tell them to show up on time at work because, you know, I did it one day. And they do it every, like, we want to kind of look at it like that. And I I was getting called out, like, every day for, like, the first month of practice. And it was frustrating. After that first month, my coach, one of my coaches pulled me. He said, do you know why I pull you aside so much? You know why I do that? He's like, because I I believe in you, and I believe there's potential there that needs to be refined. He said, some some folks he said I don't, I don't even bother with because I know they're not teachable. I know that, I'm, and so let me just say this to, to, to us in the room: if if we're not, are you a teachable person? Ask yourself that. Am, am I coachable? If we were on that little league field, am am I coachable? And, and I would say this, if you're not growing in your walk, if the Lord's not teaching you something, if the people around you aren't teaching something on a regular basis, if you're not listening in for the voice of, of God, then we're, we might need to ask ourselves, am I being humble enough to be coached? Am I really listening in? I'm going to share this at Wednesday night on our summer nights as well, um, but but I'll say it now. One of my friends posted a great quote. He said, there's really two... Are we, are we humble in the way that when someone else is talking to us, we're just looking to respond? Are we humble in the, and we let them speak, or are we humble enough to actually listen with the intent to learn something? And I think that's really kind of one of the things that I think trigger this idea of correction. The Bible is actually really, really hardcore when it comes to correction. Like sometimes we're like, oh, that's kind of vague. I don't really know what this means. Look at these proverbs of what they say, what Solomon says about correction. For this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction are the way to life. Those who disregard di- uh, discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Another another proverb says, "Whoever hates correction is stupid." Like that's literally look in every translation, and it says, "He who hates correction is stupid." Like I don't know, if there's a more blunt and like harsh. Scripture in all of the Bible that like if you don't want to grow, if you don't want to be corrected in your sin, like you I'm just saying like what the Bible says, you're stupid. <laughs> that's like harsh, like that's some harsh scripture, but like let's have a, a gut check. Like if we really wanted to grow, wouldn't we be leaning into like correction? Like I'd love for someone to just point that out. And does, is that hard? Is, is it difficult to receive that? Yeah, it is. But you know what it takes? It takes Humility. And the many times why that's hard to accept is because we're not humbling ourselves on a regular basis. We're not really looking at others as better than ourselves as the scriptures and, and Philippians tell us to. Like, look at like raise it, the, the, the view of everyone else and we kind of think many times just because we've got it figured out. These interruptions give God time when we're frustrated to say, yeah, I, w- I want to refine something in your life. So if there's an interruption happening in your life, so don't wonder about the reasons for all, you, you know, and just trying to figure everything out and your way out before you figure out what God's trying to do in it. Many times we're just trying to figure our way out and we need to figure out what God's doing in it. Does that make sense? So we've really got to begin to accept and, and receive the correction because really receiving correction is about receiving truth. And what I've found so many times, and, and I, I need us to hear this, is really when we're leaning away from community, when we're leaning away, leaning away from biblical community, it's because we're afraid of correction. We're, we're afraid that someone might bring something up that would offend or cause us to take a step. Many times when we're leaning away from reading the scripture, I'm not just talking about like, not having a great habit with it. I, I'm saying when we're actually leaning away from it, saying I'm scared to look at the scriptures because I know God's going to ask me to do some things. I know that. We need to check, check the hu- humility thing. A- or am I reading this to just post it on Facebook? Or am I reading this to say, God, breathe into my heart because I need it, because I, I want it, right? I, who, those who disregard discipline despise themselves. And th- this may get way deeper than what somebody wants to get in today. I'm, I'm serious. Disp- this idea that if we disregard discipline and correction and leaning into that, There may be some things that do we really love ourselves in order to let the Lord invest in us. God believes in you. My coach believed in me more than I believed in myself. I just thought I was a scrub. God was leaning in. The coach was leaning in. And I just think about my high school football career, like how much more, you know, how much better I probably was because he took the time every single practice to kind of grind, you know, some, some teaching into me. So I think correction is really the second thing. that These godly interruptions allow us to lean in. So when things get changed, God, what are you speaking? What are you trying to do? Don't just find your way out before you find out why you're in it. Uh, and the Lord can, can, again, redeem even the, the ugliest and uh, most ungodly of interruptions. God will redeem them and use them for his glory. Let's go back to the text. Pick up at verse 10, and we're going to close, close the, begin to work this out. Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love that it's just called Straight Street. <laughs> um, I just like the simplicity there. And ask for a man um, from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. I, I like that too, <laughs> that, that Saul's kind of woke up, right? He was going here to persecute, and now he's crying out to God. He's like, I really, I, he hasn't eaten in three days. And he's blinded. And like when things are not going the way we thought they were, we, we, we get on our knees. We start crying out to God. So here he's even praying. In, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and uh, and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered in, entered it, Uh, placing his hands on Saul. He said, "Brother Saul, like, can you imagine like like this happening? Like, just imagine with an ISIS member, which is kind of probably extreme for." Saul because he was a Jew and like he was trying to do what was right and you know but uh, you probably think the same thing Um, imagine God telling you to go to that person that's been persecuting Christians and lay your hands on him like we'd be having some conversation God like I got some other ideas man let's explore the options like that's not the only route we could go we got to also pray from here that's like do the whole extended hand thing we could do that um yeah could think of lots of other ideas that's not the one I want to go with and not only that, he calls him Brother Saul. When he lays his hands on him, he, he is speaking that which God has spoken. He is now speaking it over that person. That God said he's going to use him for his glory, and he's speaking to him, and he's calling him brother before he's even received this word. Uh, the, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, He has sent me uh, so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales Fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. If you go back to verse 15, you see where, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. I think that really the, the, the third thing here of what God uses these godly interruptions are for is not only for humility, bring us to a place of God, okay, what's going on, but for correction. I think why God, why humility is so necessary and why correction has happened is to prepare us for our purpose. To prepare us for our purpose. Many times, again, purpose is a moving destination, right? It's not just a a destination, but it's a lifestyle. It's not just, okay, I have this great thing, but it's on a daily basis, living fulfilled in the purposes of God. Not just in your unique calling, but in the greater grand scheme. And here, We see that for for Saul. He'd end up changing his own name. Many times we don't realize that. God didn't change his name. Paul changed his name because he wanted to walk in that new identity that God had given him. He didn't want to be identified with the old life. He was going to walk in the mission that God had had given him. And here we find this so powerful that Ananias would walk in this faithfulness so that he could understand the purpose that he has. Like, Do do we understand in this room that, that God's given us all the same purpose? but he's also given us a very unique purpose in our life. And many of us, we walk purposeless, we do. like God wants to inspire, he wants to breathe breathe life into your work life, into your family life, your life as a mom, your life as a dad, your life as a student, he wants to breathe life into it. As an employee, as a boss, he wants to breathe his purposes into it. An inspiration that we don't live with and we don't get to embody many times, but God wants to breathe that in if we'll allow him today. And part of that correction is so that he can propel us into our purpose. Saul was not ready for what God did him. He was not expecting it to happen. It was an interruption. It was an interruption that God had planned in order to humble him, begin to correct something in his life. And he made a 180 he really did. I mean, he got baptized, he got filled with the Spirit. Like, he was out preaching, like, the next, like, after a few days of hanging out with the disciples, he was ready to go. He was in the temple, and people were like, dude, what's, what's going on? This is, you, you, I don't get it. You, you're the same guy that was, like, coming here to kill people. We heard about it. This idea of purpose is so uh, instrumental in our lives. I, I love what Ephesians 2, verses 8 says. Um, through 10 say to us right here uh, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 2 um, verses 8 through 10 crosses over here uh, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast, that sounds like something about humility, so you can't boast this isn't because of you, for we are God's Workmanship or craftsmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He has work for us to do. We can get caught up in that, but it's got to start with humility. It's got to start with humility and, and allow the correction that God brings into our life and to lean into it that He may propel us greater into our future. You're in this season for a reason, you're in this space right here in this room for a reason. God's wanting to refine some things in in our lives. He's wanting us to humble. If you've got some interruptions that are happening, I I wouldn't be surprised to see some interruptions happen in your life this week. Maybe not major ones, maybe just little ones. And that traffic is an opportunity for God to refine patience in you because you're going to need it. You're going to need it more and more. Uh, It's it's been a few years ago, but it feels like it was just, just yesterday. I was in South Australia, and we went to this little town called Hawker, in South Australia. And Hawker is like a ghost town. Like, it really is. It was just strange. We went into this one, uh, one little cafe there in this small little ghost town, and it really felt like this old saloon out of, like, some movie. I mean, seriously, that's like the, the decor. Everything was just caught in time from, like, 100 years ago, it felt like. And it was so just a, a crazy, it was a very cute, like, quaint town, but so small and kind of, like, you know, like I said, ghost town or something. And and we went to a, a, a guy that uh, in, the, in the town that uh, the missionary we were, were going with um, knew, and his name is Jeff Morgan. And so we go into this thing, and it says, well, Pina Panorama, outside. And so we, we go in, and just to kind of set the stage, we're in South Australia, which is just kind of beautiful mountainous landscape everywhere, but it's like desert. There's, you don't see green much at all. I um, mean, there's just little shrubs here and there. And every corner, as we're driving through this, we drove probably eight hours in, in to, to be with the Aboriginals. And every time you turn, make a turn, it looks like the exact same thing, but it's such a un- unique kind of landscape. And every mountain has its own kind of ledges and height. And, and it's just absolutely breathtaking, but all the same, too. So we go into this place, and his name's Jeff Morgan. And we come to find out he, was ba- he had just found out he was... Diagnosed with cancer a couple weeks before this, and, and we had prayer with him o- over his cancer, and f- to my knowledge, like he, he was, act- last time I heard, he was doing really well, and, and uh, was in remission, so thank God for that. Um, but he, he was a world-renowned panorama artist. I don't know if you know what, what I mean when I say that. It's like these really giant kind of portraits that they would paint. This, this one that he was most well-known, he's on like the International Council for Panorama Artists or something. He's like really well-known and been recognized by continents and countries as one of the foremost pan- And it's in this middle of this ghost town, just on the middle of our, you know, just journey here. And we go in and there's this place that he is most widely known for, this panorama of the Flinders Ranges, mountain ranges, that he had painted I can't remember the exact time period, but it took him like 10 or 12 years of about 12 to 14 hour days, pretty much nonstop, 365 days, and it took him like 10 to 12 years. So just to get the, the gravity and enormity of the amount of time that this guy spent on this one masterpiece, this incredible time that he spent on this. So you go in and, and look, you have to pay extra to go in this room because it's, like, it's a big deal here in this ghost town. So we go in and there's a, a like a stairway up and it's literally a 360 degree panorama all the way around you of this portrait that he spent 10 to 12 years on. And so you climb the steps and as you're going up on like the little pedestals, there's little placards that that say, that have scriptures about the Lord, like the Lord's creation and him being the creator and just the the, the beauty and the majesty of the Lord's hands and, and works. And, and we've been driving this for four, six hours out in the middle of the desert with these mountains. And we've seen this, but we go into this room and walk up and just see these scriptures and a little music, and it's just like, you just want to start crying because you get up there and you start looking and knowing just the gravity of what this man has invested into this one work that he'd be so well known for. Just mind-boggling it was still I mean I just get kind of the goosies thinking about it because it was just so overwhelming the beauty and just the work that he invested into this and I I thought to myself as I was reading that scripture about being the Lord's workmanship and God's purpose and in Saul's life and I was thinking I can't imagine standing on the outside of his studio and saying nah bro you can't come in (laughs) Like in the middle of that while he's working on this masterpiece, would be like, No, man, you can't come. I can't imagine the conflict that would happen there because his passion was so evident in this masterpiece. His love to do this, it was his purpose, it was fulfilled in this. I can't imagine standing on the doors, locking them up, saying, No, you can't come in. But if you really think about it, isn't that what we do with the Lord many times? We're his masterpiece, we're the Creator's masterpiece we just need to let them work. We need to humble, himself, humble ourselves and just say, God, just come in and work. Just come in and work, God. Just, just do a stroke today. And this interruption and what I thought it was going to be, God, just, just paint some more mountains. And just the beauty of your majesty comes out and it's just an overwhelming. And, and, and I think about that with Saul's life, like people that... Again, those guys that stood there, they heard something, that they didn't see anything, and they're just overwhelmed and, like, speechless. I think over the next few days, like, I'd like to hear their perspective five, seven days later, two months later on this guy that they were walking this journey with. They knew him before, and now they're seeing him walk in the new creation, walking in the life that God has for them, the purpose that he has for them just want to pound to us today. These, these things are, are not just, okay, we get our purpose now. Okay, no, I need correction just in, in this season. No, like, or humility, And I finally reach it. No, it's on a constant basis. It's a lifestyle of a believer to be humbled, to be corrected by the words of scripture, by the spirit, by the people of God that he brings into our lives, that he might propel us into our future. We are stunning our growth, and we are denying the purpose that he has for us when we're denying the ability for us to be corrected and to learn and grow. We're denying that purpose. We're we're, we're not allowing ourselves to get to a fully formed masterpiece. There's just smudges all over the place. It's just like blobs. Can you imagine going in there at year two? You couldn't see it for that panorama. That's where some of us are in our lives, and we're always going to be just a work in progress Let the creator of the masterpiece do his work today. Let's stand, I'm gonna pray. These guys are gonna lead us in worship, but we're gonna come to the table in a minute. And I just pray in these next few moments that God would do something in our hearts. God would bring us to a place of humility and say, God, I don't even know what, what you're wanting to do. Maybe there's not an interruption in your life right now, but don't be surprised if one comes next week or the week after or next year, one that's major in your life. God wants to work in these seasons. God, we humble ourselves we make ourselves lay, less that you might become greater in our lives, God. We turn our affections and our attention towards you, God, not from the circumstances and not just the interruptions, but God, the things that you are doing in our hearts. Help us to receive your truth this morning. Help us to lean into what your, your spirit is doing in our lives, the things that you're forming in us. Let, help us, God, help us to, to let the creator do his work, God. That you might propel us into the greater purpose you've called us to. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. Ask the Lord what he's doing.